How many of you this morning are big baseball fans? You, you, do, okay, four people. Good. I thought there'd be a couple more. I know Ruth is a baseball fan. Unless you're a Mets fan like me, then it's, then it's no fun. Um, I, uh, I, I, I played one year of baseball, um, and I played, uh, I can't remember, I was young, but I played the first year that you could pitch the ball. So let's just say I spent most of that year uh, like this at the plate, not trying to get beaned by the ball because it was a lot of wild pitches. And my experience with baseball was with a not so great coach. We kind of had the Billy Martin coach of Little League Baseball. If you guys remember Billy Martin, you know, kicking the sand at the Empire and, and getting thrown out of all the games. That, that, that was my coach. Not the greatest experience. So um, when my son Wesley wanted to play baseball, I'm like, you sure you want to play baseball, Wesley? Because I didn't have the greatest. No, I want to play. So we played, and he played all the way uh, uh, through high school. And the thing, I got to learn a lot about baseball by just watching Wesley play. And the thing about baseball that's interesting is when you really watch pitching, it's very strategic because the, the pitcher wants to throw you off. They, they, they want to throw you something that you're not expecting, change up or, or a curveball. And a lot of times I'd, I'd watch Wesley and I'd see him swing at this pitch and miss it. He goes, man, he threw a good curveball on me. I, was, I thought he was going to throw fast. You got to be ready because that, that, that ball's coming 75, 80 miles an hour in high school or even more. You got to be ready for those pitches. And how many know that once in a while, life throws you a curveball? Something you weren't expecting, right? And and as much, listen, as much as we try to prepare in life, you can never be fully prepared. There's no way that we could ever fully be prepared in this life. God knows about the curveballs in our lives. I just want you to know this morning that God is not surprised by the change-ups. God is not surprised by the curveball. God is not surprised by the breaking balls in our lives. He's not surprised, but God knows that they're coming. And how many know that God can use them in our lives to teach us to trust him even more? And as we've been studying the book of Exodus, we've been studying God taking his children, Israel, out of Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And what he does is he gathers them to himself. He, he, he uses the plagues to show that Egypt isn't the superpower, but God's the superpower. And he takes his children and he shows them, I'm going to be the one that delivers you. He takes them out of Egyptian bondage through the Passover, through God's judgment on Egypt. God spares his children who apply the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. Then he leads them out into the wilderness to the Red Sea where he parts the Red Sea for them, right? He brings them through. Now he brings them into the desert where he provides for them manna from heaven, water from a rock, quail. He provides. He said, I'm going to do everything for you. But I think the problem that we have as Christians and the problem that Israel had is that when these curveballs came, they didn't know how to handle it. They forgot that it was God who was the one who delivered them. They they easily forgot, like we easily forget many times, that God is the one that's going to see us through, that God is the same God that performed these miraculous plagues before them. God is the same God who parted the Red Sea. Do you believe that God is the same God today that was the same God who parted the Red Sea so many years ago? He's the same God. He never changes. 
But yet these curveballs come in our lives, don't they? And we're not expecting them. And all of a sudden, when they come, we're like, why? Why, God? why? why did this happen? Why is this going on? You know, God, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? There are choices we make in our, our, in our lives that we do dumb things and we pay for the consequence of those choices, right? Amen? And we can easily figure those out. But there's some things that happen that we just can't figure out. Like, why is this happening? God, did you forget about this? God, did you not see this thing coming? And God says, yes, I saw this thing coming. But because I love you so much, I want to do something so much deeper in your hearts and in your lives that, that if I didn't cause this to happen, you wouldn't grow and experience me in a deeper way. This is where we are in Exodus. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. They've come through the Red Sea. God has provided for them. This is, you know, before the Mount Sinai experience. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But here they are. They're in the wilderness. And we're in Exodus 17. And there's interesting things that are happening here. Because they see all this miraculous things that God does. But all of a sudden, there is this huge trial that comes before them that we're going to see in Exodus 17 that they did nothing to provoke. This is an unprovoked trial that comes before them. I believe what God wanted to show Israel through this unprovoked trial, that God wanted Israel to understand, he wants us to understand today that life is a battle. If you can see that life is a battle, you'll understand how to fight the right way. If you're going to be a good army, you're going to prepare yourself to battle. You don't go into that battle unprepared. And and I'm afraid to say that many Christians are unprepared to fight the battles of life. I'm afraid to say that many of us don't see this life as a spiritual battle that we're, that many of us are fighting the wrong way. And I think what God does here in Exodus 17 is he's going to show Israel, this is the way you are to fight life's battles. And it can't come through the physical. It can't come through your own strength. It only can come through me. You have to find your strength in me. See, things will come up in our lives. Things will not go our way, not the way we want it. And so here we are in in Exodus. God brings them out. He brings them out of this horrible conditions of Egypt. But then they quickly forget what God has done for them. And so I want you to understand something. As we just start here, think of this as we just jump into the word today. The battles in your life must be given to the Lord. I don't care what they are. The battles in your life must be given to the Lord. And this is what we're going to see in Exodus 17. Because what happens in Exodus 17 is Israel is, is attacked, this unprovoked attack from the Amalekites. So in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, this group of people just attacks them. They're not prepared. They're, they're not ready. And so they, they come, they're not ready, and they've done nothing to provoke them. But there's this unprovoked attack from the Amalekites. And this is their first real battle. You know, Israel's been without water, food, God's provided for them. Now this unprovoked attack from the Amalekites. The Israelites are just living the dream, aren't they? 
This, is, this isn't what they're thinking when God delivers them out of Egypt, right? And so this isn't what they thought it would be like. God, we thought you were going to lead us out into the promised land, the, the, the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't see no milk and I don't see no honey, right? All I see is no water, no food. God's provided. Now this enemy comes and attacks us. This isn't what we thought. And I think this is the problem that many of us have in our lives. How many of you did something or thought something that would be wonderful and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would? Right? Now, I, I, for you parents, you can, you can relate to this. I don't care how much you prepare yourself to raise kids. Right? I remember someone said to me when we had our first child, you know, they said, oh, have another one. It's no big deal. Having two is easy. I want to go back to that person and just slap them because they had no idea. And then you have a third one. It doesn't get any easier. No one gives, it's, it's, it's hard. You, you're not prepared for all this. People tell you, oh, this is what's going to happen. Don't you love when people do that? Oh, wait till they uh, get to be two, the terrible twos. Thank you for encouraging me, right? Oh, wait till they become teenagers. Let me tell you my story. When they were teenagers, they were terrible, right? Oh, and then they go to college, right? Kids are expensive. It costs a lot of money, right? No, no one prepares you um, for these things. My, par- my parents were crazy. Just not, They got married at 18, right? They had kids right away. So when, by the time my parents were 22, uh, they had a terrible two-year-old and twins. I have a twin sister. I go, Dad, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I know it was the 60s. What the heck were you smoking? No, he wasn't doing that stuff. I don't know what he was doing, but I'm like, what were you thinking, Dad, right? No, it's the 60s, but come on, right? And no one prepares us for these things. And we think, oh, this is going to be great. And all of a sudden, it's not what I thought. It's a lot harder than what I thought it was. And see, that's what life does. See, that's preparing. Because even Jesus never paints a perfect picture of this world for us. In fact, Jesus even tells us in John 16, 33, in this world, you'll have many tribulations. But take heart, I've done what? I've overcome the world for you. So our hope isn't here. Our hope is in the hereafter. So when we can prepare ourselves for battle, for this world, we will find joy. And I'm not saying there's not joy. I don't want to paint this picture like, Pastor, why did I come to church today? This is a downer sermon. Come on, give me something, right? Encourage me. I'm not saying that we won't find joy. But where do we? We can find our joy even in the midst of those difficult circumstances. Even when life does throw us a curveball, we know where our joy comes from. We know where our strength comes from. We know where we can turn to, to find our help in our time of need. And I think that's what God is going to show Israel in this chapter, in this battle with the Amalekites. Let me say this about the Amalekites. The Amalekites were no Egypt. They were no Egypt. This was... Podunk collar type of nation compared to, that's what you say in South Carolina, Podunk collar means you're from Wayne County. No, it means you're from just a small, like, you, you blink and you're through that town, right? That's what the Amalekites, compared to Egypt, they're nothing. And you're thinking, who was on the war committee here for the Amalekites? Someone wasn't thinking, because think about it for a, a minute. A whole nation of people left Egypt without 
a sword being raised. I would think that God would have something to do with that, and yet the Amalekites still attack them. And so this is where we are in Exodus 17. Unprovoked, attacked, and they have to be ready to fight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look up at the screen. Let's read what happens here with the Amalekites in Exodus 17 and what God can teach us through this. We're going to look at verses 8 through 16. So let's see what it says. It says, the Amalekites, verse 8, came to attack the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses says to Joshua... Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. You got one day to prepare. Joshua, get ready. Take your men. One day to fight a battle. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held his hands... The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Amen. That's pretty cool, right? Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of them under, under heaven, Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15, then Moses built an altar and he called the Lord as my banner for, for he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne, to the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation all right so what do we see going on here here's the scene the amalekites attack moses picks joshua and says to him pick some men and let's go do battle so joshua does he's faithful he listens he obeys moses says i'm going to stand on the hill with the staff of god in my hand on the top of the hill you have moses and his brother aaron and some dude we really don't know a whole lot about named her as long as Moses and his staff was in the air, they were winning. And when, and when they got tired, he would drop the staff and the Amalekites would prevail. Now, this is an interesting story. What does this have anything with him raising his hands and lowering his hands? What does this have anything to do with military ability? What does it have to do with, with, with swinging the sword and being able to, to defeat somebody else? It has everything to do with it and how we correctly fight our battles. It's interesting that the Lord still told them to fight, but the battle was won through what was happening on the hill, not necessarily on the battlefield. Are you with me, people? See, this is where we miss it. We get too busy looking at what's going on on the battlefield that we get discouraged and forget there's somebody else fighting for us on the hill. Never forget that. The Lord is the one who ultimately fights our battles. He takes them. He fights them for us. He gives us strength. So Aaron and her helped him keep... 
the staff in the air and Israel prevailed. And so what's going on here that, that, that we can learn? Now, here's, if, if, you're, if you're following along your notes, you can follow along. I have those in, in your bulletins for you. But here's a couple questions we need to ask ourselves from this passage. First of all, who ultimately won the battle? It's the Lord. Okay, let's remember. It's the Lord who wins the battle. Not me. It's the Lord who wins this battle. And so who is God judging? Well, he's judging Amalek or the Amalekites. They were the enemy of God's people. They wanted to destroy them. They wanted to keep them from the promises of God, from what God had for them. They wanted to eliminate them. They wanted to keep them from pressing on into the promised land. And so what we can learn about this story is if we're not careful, we can look at this story through, the, through our physical eyes. But what we need to learn about this is that our battles today are always spiritual in nature. And we can't fight them in our own strength. See, Jesus tells us in John 10, 10 this. Jesus says the enemy has come to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. See, the enemy, the devil, comes to take, to steal, to kill, destroy, to take things from our lives. And some of us here, maybe even in our past, we can see those sinful patterns that were out to destroy our lives. And then we came to Christ, right? And we saw how Christ redeemed those things and restored us and brought life to us again. That's what's so powerful about the gospel message is because it breathes life into us again. It takes those dead things and brings them to life. So what Jesus is saying, there's something spiritual going on behind the scenes. There's this enemy that's come against us and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He says, I've come to give you life, just the opposite. The, the Apostle Paul gives us some greater insight into the spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And this is what he tells them. This is what he tells the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in who? The Lord. And in, and in the strength of whose might? His might. And he says, put on the whole armor. Now he's telling us we've got to do something. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. And so what we see in the Amalekites, we see an enemy that has come against Israelite, the Israelites. This is the enemy coming against us. Paul says it's the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. You see, Israel would not win this battle with their might. They had no fighting skills. They were pretty helpless here. They had a day too prepared. But Moses' staff outstretched towards God was his appeal to God for what? For the victory. This was Moses' appeal towards God for the victory. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand on the hill. I want you to look over the hill. I want you to look over this battle. And I want you to lift your hands with the staff of God up to heaven, up to me. Now, this is where it gets really important because we can easily miss this and what's going on 
in this battle. Here's the spiritual side that's going on in this battle. And here's how we can correctly fight the battles in our lives. So here's what Moses does. After the victory, Moses builds an altar. And he calls it this. The Lord is my banner. Now, this gives us the insight to what actually was going on here and actually how the battle was won. Remember, God is preparing Israel to correctly fight their life's battle. They are in the beginning stages of walking through the desert. They're going to be there for 40 years. God's going to teach them a lot before they even get into the promised land. He's preparing them to say, this is the correct way how to fight. I can make you the most skilled fighters in the world, but that's, I don't want you to depend on your own strength and your own might. I want you to depend on me. This is how you fight your life's battles. And so what he does is he calls this place, the Lord is my banner. And in the Hebrew language, this would, this would mean Jehovah Nisi. Some of your Bible translations actually translate this for us as Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah, the Lord, Nisi banner in the Hebrew language. So here's what Jehovah Nisi means. It literally means to lift high or to raise. It literally means to lift high or to raise. So the place there was to be called the Lord, our banner. This place where the Lord was lifted high. The Lord received the victory here. And he says, I want you to write this down because I don't want future generations. I don't want Joshua to forget how the battle was won. So write this down, tell it to Joshua and say, this is what happened here with the Amalekites. And this is how the battle was won. You see, a banner is what a soldier would look to in battle. The banner would be a rallying point. It would be a sign to hold firm. So what the soldiers would do, what the fighters would do, is they would look to that banner as their sign to hold firm, to go forward, to do what they needed to do. It was a sign to them of what they needed to do. And Moses lifting his hands was showing that the Lord was their banner, that you need to look to the Lord for your strength. And so what's interesting here is Joshua doesn't hold the banner on the battlefield. Catch this. Catch this. Because most warriors would hold the banner on the battlefield. The leader at this point, who was Joshua, would be the one holding the banner that all the soldiers would look to. But the banner was not on the battlefield. Where was the banner? It was up on the hill. With who? Moses, Aaron, and some dude we don't even know a lot about named her. Who's her? <laughs> H-U-R. I don't know. I've never met anyone named her. Uh, you know, yeah, Ben Herbert, no one was the first. I don't know who he is. Who's this guy? Who's her? Who's this person? We don't know. That's where the battle actually was won, was up on this hill, not actually on the battlefield. So, What's interesting here is Joshua doesn't hold the banner on the battlefield. Moses does on the hill. So here's what I want you to understand about this passage. The banner is God himself. He wanted them to look to him for their strength and their reliance. 
and ultimately the victory. The banner is God himself. He wanted them to look to him for their strength, their reliance, and ultimately the victory. So the victory was up on the hill and not really on the battlefield itself. And so we have to ask ourselves, where ultimately is our battle won? Our battle is won on our knees. That's where the battle is won. It's won when we give it to the Lord and we rely on him for our strength and our reliance. But I want to talk more about her. Let me talk about her a little bit here. Um, there's, there's something interesting about this, this person, her, that I believe was very important in part of this story that we can kind of overlook. Extra biblical sources and traditions say that maybe her was the husband of Moses' sister, Miriam. We don't know for sure. Uh, and we don't know a lot about her. Um, her was, but I, the thing I love about this short blurb about her is this, um, is that her was just as much in the battle as Joshua was on the battlefield. Her was alongside Moses holding up his hands. See, I love the role of hers in our church. I love that role. Here's the reason why I love that role. How many of you know we all get tired and we all want to give up sometimes in our walk, don't we? We get discouraged. Life throws us a curveball and we're like, man, I'm not prepared for this. And all of a sudden there's this her that comes along to encourage us to lift our hands up. I love those people. Those people that are behind the scenes that are praying. That, that are lifting these prayer. Every Tuesday night we pray. And everyone's welcome to come to prayer on, on Tuesday nights at 6.30 to 7.30. You're all welcome to come. But you guys in the back of your seats are our prayer request forms. And we pray for all those requests. All the requests that come to the church. Those are the herds. Those are the people behind the scenes that are just praying. Praying for your needs. Praying for what you're going through. Praying through your struggles. That as a church, our calling is to come alongside each other and bear each other's burdens, aren't we? To help each other through. And, and our object is this. We may not be able to fix all each other's problems, right? But what we can do is to point each other towards the Lord. And say, you know what? I'm going to be praying for you. That God will give you strength. That God will give you wisdom. That God will help you through what you're going through. I don't know exactly the pain that you're going through. But I know one thing that Jesus does. And that he cares about you. And that he loves you. That is what I love about the church. That's the thing I love about the church. Is that when you're going through somebody and you call somebody. And you say, can you pray for me? And that person is there, and that person prays for you. That person lays their hand on you. That person lifts you up to the Lord. I love that. Listen, for those of you here today, and you may be going through something, I, I just want to encourage you, don't hold that burden to yourself. You need to share those with other believers, that they might bear that burden with you so they can pray with you, they can lift you up, and show you, hey, this is what I want to point you to. I'm going to point you here. And I'm going to encourage you. 
I may not understand exactly what you're going through, but I know Jesus does, so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to encourage you, and, and I'll do little things that I can help to, to help get you through this, but I want to be there for you because that's who Jesus is. And that's what the church is. Amen? So here we've got all-day battle, and, and her and Aaron are holding up the hands of the Lord. I love that. I, I, I see a lot of this on missions trips. Last year on the missions trip, we had a lot of concrete pouring. And, and so, you know, we're pouring concrete, and I was pouring some concrete, and I had some of the younger guys come up and say, Pastor, let, let me do that for you. And I noticed this, like, day after day after day, like, they're saying, Pastor, let me do that for you, let me do that for you. And then I came to figure out why they were doing that, because I made so many mistakes. They're saying, Pastor, let me do that for you. So I, it wasn't really a her thing, it was more of a mistake thing, because they didn't want to do double the work to make up for my, all my mistakes. So I get it, I know what's going on, you can, you can hear me. Um, but I love how people come alongside each other and lift our hands up to the Lord to strengthen us. Wonderful thing that we see there. And I want you to realize this morning that in your battles, you're not alone. That Moses wasn't alone. That Joshua wasn't alone on the battlefield. That there was one rallying point, And that was Moses' hands lifted up towards the Lord. That there was something that they could look at to know that God was with them. That God was supporting them. That he wasn't leaving them. And so what Moses does is he dispenses God's judgment by lifting up his hands. Jesus spreads out his hands and receives God's judgment for you and I. So here, here Moses is lifting his hands up and the enemy is being defeated before them. And what Jesus Christ does for you by hanging on the cross is to, is to defeat the enemy before us. That the enemy has been defeated. He is a roaring lion without any teeth. Now he can roar big, but remember... That through the power of Jesus' name, we have authority. That no longer does the enemy have any territory or any place in my life. We give him as much authority and as much territory that we allow him. But realize that Jesus, through the power of the cross, has disarmed the power of the enemy in your life. And so we say, Amen. Are you with me, 9 o'clock crowd? This is good. Because some of you, the reason why you're defeated, the reason why you feel discouraged so much is because we're fighting the battle the wrong way. The victory's already been won. My encouragement comes from the Lord. And so when we, when we doubt, when, we're, when, when life throws us a curveball, what we do is we don't turn to that situation and say, this is going to defeat. We say, Lord, you're, you're with me. The victory is in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry. It doesn't mean we don't struggle, but we come alongside each other. We pray for each other. We walk through the battle together, and ultimately, Christ gets the victory. Christ gets the glory, and he does a deeper work in my heart and my life. And so we look to Jesus for our hope because he's overcome for us. I love this passage in Corinthians, and I read this a lot at at gravesides. Because I love this passage because for the death of a believer, we can look at, at burial and death in such a gloomy way like, is this the end? But for, for a believer in Christ Jesus, we realize that death does not have its final say. 
And so what Paul does is in Corinthians, he's, he's encouraging the Corinthians because they're like, well, what happens after you die? And they're a little confused. And here's what Paul writes to them. I love this. This is so encouraging. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58, he says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Encourage each other with these words that death no longer has its final say for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more sting because we know that Christ has conquered it for us. Christ is the one we look to. We understand that we can give the battles of life to him. Christ is the one who overcomes for us. Christ is the one who defeated the enemy for us. Ultimately, Jesus now becomes our Jehovah Nisi. Jesus Christ is our banner that we look to. That no matter what I'm going through in my life, no matter what discouraging thing, no matter curveball, breaking ball that gets thrown in my life, I can look to Christ because I know he's the one who's won the battle for me. The word of God says that we need to encourage each other with these words. That's why we come together. That's why we worship together. That's why we pray for each other. Because how many know life stinks at times? It just does. It stinks. But thanks be to God that through Christ Jesus, we have the ultimate victory. And so I don't know where you are today, what you're battling with, what you're struggling with today, what you're going through today. Here's what I would tell you. Here's what I would tell you. That life isn't going to be easy. Not everything is going to work out the way we want it to work out. But ultimately we know that Christ has conquered sin and death through the cross, through his resurrection. That our hope now is in him, that he will see us through, that even through those battles, God is doing a deeper thing in our lives. So here's the thing. When, when you don't understand what's going on in your life and you just feel like, man, there's this heaviness, there's this oppression in my life, I don't get this. Um, there's many times where I just say, okay, am I praying about this, Lord? Am I really giving this to you? I need to seek your face in this situation. Because so many times I want to turn to friends or give me something to read or is there a book I can read? Sometimes it's a simple thing of getting on our knees and seeking God's face. Saying, God, I need your wisdom here. Because someone lifting, I, I was just wondering, think about what the Amalekites were thinking. There's some crazy guy up there on a hill with a stick. And every time you raise that stick, we lose. What's up with that, right? See, the, the, the world's wisdom doesn't work. It's not going to work. And so many times we think the world looks at this foolishness of us turning to the Lord. But that's wisdom. That's where we find our strength. That's where we seek the Lord and we say, God, I need wisdom in this situation. I need you to calm my spirit here. And I know that you're going to make a way. I know that your promises are true, but I just need to seek you to get wisdom 
in this situation to know what's best. Listen, we need to know what's best for our kids. We need to know what's best in our marriages. We need to know what's best in the choices that we make and the way we do that is by seeking the presence of God because we know that there's a roaring lion in the enemy who's seeking to whom he may devour. So we need the presence of God. We need to fight the right way. And I know something that God has been speaking in my heart and my life. Because I battle with worry and like, how's this going to work out? And I, and I want to meticulously work. Every, and God's like, Barton, why are you worrying about it? What does the word say? Be anxious for nothing. That doesn't mean we're never going to have problems or things are going to come our way. But be anxious or worry about nothing. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, right? Make a request to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I have to quote that to myself every single day because I forget so easily. Too many concussions as a kid. I don't know what it is, but I forget. And, and he's, Barton, why are you worrying about it? Give it to me. Give it to me. Bring your petitions with thank God. I thank you for this. I'm going to give it to you. I need your peace in this situation. I need your help. That's what prayer does. Bring it to the Lord. And what we do is we worry first and then we pray second. God says, I want you to pray first and give it to me. And watch how I give you my peace. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, here's what I want you to see today. I want you to see the provision that Christ gives to each and every believer who puts their faith in him. God provides everything for us through Jesus, period. And so when we come to the table, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. This is what I've done for you. I've given you my body and I've shed my blood for you to cover your sins. I've provided for you. So the cross is a wonderful picture of Jesus' atonement, his covering for you and I. He covers your life. He covers your mistakes. He covers through his blood your sins, your past. Everybody say amen. And so what's provided for us through that atonement is not only spiritual healing, but physical healing. There's a provision that he gives through us to help us through our lives. To help us with our anxiety and our stress and our worry. Because now the peace of Christ comes into my life. That everything's going to be okay. Because Jesus, you got me. He's got you. Jesus got you. He's not going to let you go. So let's put ourselves in the hand of Christ today. So whatever you're going through, whatever thing that you're worried about or stressing about today, let me, let me implore you today, give it to the Lord. So as we bow our hearts, let me just say this. Communion is open to all of you. You don't have to be a member of our church. You do have to be a member of God's family. And if you're here today as we pray and you say, man, I'm just going to give my life. I haven't really turned my life over to Christ. You can do that right now as we pray. You turn your life over. Let's take communion together. Let's celebrate what Christ has done for us. As we take communion, I want you to believe that Christ is enough for you today. And whatever you're battling with today, whatever your life battles are today, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus that you can turn to and run to that is faithful to meet us at the point of our needs.
So Lord, as we bow before you today, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, Lord, I pray for your children today as they lay this burden, whatever is going on in their hearts today, Lord, I pray that you would just let us realize who you are and what you've done for us. Let us fight life's battles correctly. Let us realize that you're not unaware of them, but you're requiring us to come before you and lay those petitions before you that our strength would not be in ourselves, but our strength would be in you that you would give us that strength, that you would give us that power, Lord. So I pray for every person here that's just battling God, that you would speak to their hearts and their lives. Whether they're praying for themselves or a family member or a child, Lord, we lay those things at your feet and we thank you that you do the fighting for us. But we need to look to you and depend on you and we need your wisdom and we need your peace to make it through this world. So I pray that for every person here today. Thank you for what these emblems mean. Thank you for the bread as we're about to receive it, that it's Jesus' body that he's given for us, that the blood's, that the, that the cup symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Without it, there could be no forgiveness of our sins. So as we take this today, may it unify us as your body as we look to Christ for our ultimate healing. We love you, we thank you, and we ask all these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.